Good afternoon. We are glad you can be here to, to join together and worship the Lord today. So our next worship service, right now we are worshiping once a, a month as far as a corporate worship service like this. God willing, we'll be going to twice a month fairly soon and then eventually weekly. We'd like to get there just as soon as we possibly can. We've been enjoying this so much. But uh, we're continuing to spend these early services looking at what we have identified as our core values. For us, we've listed these as worship, covenant community, making disciples, serving the church and community, church planting and missions, and all founded upon what has historically been called the, the means of grace. And we've been explaining the means of grace like this. Just as God has ordained or designed that a plant will grow by giving it water and sunlight, uh, so God has ordained that Christians grow and are transformed through simple God-ordained means. And these, these three means are identified in Scripture as the Word of God, prayer, and the sacraments, which consist of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Dr. Robert Raymond explains the means of grace well, and he says it like this. He says, Just like we need food for our physical growth, so the people of God need food for their spiritual growth. In essence, what we're saying is that God's Word, prayer, and the sacraments are food for our souls. Through faith, they nourish us and strengthen us, and they grow each of us. And so today we're going to be looking at the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, not because it's more important than baptism, but because we're going to be participating in the Lord's Supper uh, every time we meet. And so I hope to encourage you to come to the table with a greater anticipation, with a greater understanding of it, so that it will be indeed a, a time of spiritual nourishment for you. So now I'll confess at this point that uh, this sermon is really a, a bit out of my own element. I, I tend to like to take a, a passage of Scripture uh, and expound it and apply it in, in great detail. Uh, however, with the Lord's Supper, it requires more historical perspective to really understand what it is, and so we're going to be taking a bit of a journey before really digging into the text this morning. But if you have your Bible, please turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read verses 16 and 17. And then we're going to skip ahead to the next chapter, chapter 11. I'll tell you where we're going at that point. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. I want you to hop over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It should just be a, a page over. Beginning in verse 23, we're going to read through 26 here. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The term souvenir in our culture usually brings to mind cheap and cheesy plastic items that have been bought on trips away from home. Pretty much just useless junk that you can trick tourists into buying. If you visit France, you might come home with a small plastic Eiffel Tower. If you go to Hawaii, you might come home with a, a lei around your neck or maybe one of those dancing hula girls to sit on your dash. Uh, often people get tattoos 
uh, to remember those who have passed away or major events in their life. And at sporting events, people bring home jerseys and hats, foam fingers, bobbleheads. Uh, here in the state of Kansas, we have our own iconic souvenirs. You can find them at the airports usually. Uh, almost everything's related to the Wizard of Oz, and that's the way the outside world kind of sees Kansas. Just about everything is related to ruby slippers or uh, something that says, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, even though that's not the actual quote. Uh, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore, is what the movie actually says. Anyway, the term souvenir is actually a, a French word. It has no relation at all to cheesy plastic trinkets. It's an irregular, pronominal verb. I have no idea what that actually means, but it's an irregular, pronominal verb that means simply to remember. The idea of the souvenir, then, is to remind the one who possesses it of a place they have been, a person they have known, or an experience they have had. Uh, it's a touchable, tangible way to remember something. You see, remembering has always been an important concept for the people of God, really throughout all of history. In and, and Deuteronomy 6.12, God's people are reminded, take care lest you forget who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Um, they were then called to remember that it was the Lord who delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, later, after, after God protects Israel from the Philistines, the prophet Samuel actually sets up these, these stones as a monument to help the people, and he names these things. They're called Ebenezers. And literally, Ebenezer means stone of help, and it was really set up as a means to remind not only that generation, but later generations of God's real and, and holy presence in their life. Really what it was, though, is this idea as you're walking by and your children say, Dad, why is there a big pile of stones there? That's really weird. And that would be the opportunity for, for parents and others to explain to them. This is, this is to symbolize when the Lord delivered us, to remind them. In fact, the Jewish people celebrated a special meal each year called the Passover. And this, too, was about remembrance. Remembering that they were once slaves in Egypt and that God did mighty miracles to deliver them from that slavery. Uh, the Passover... Remember the final plague, where God sent an angel to kill the firstborn male child in every house in Egypt. And so to protect the Israelite families, and the angel was given these specific instructions on, on how to accomplish this. And the Jewish people were also given specific instructions on how to respond to this. They were told to go and sacrifice a lamb, to kill it. And then they were told to take the blood of the lamb and to smear it on the doorpost right outside of their home. Seems like an odd thing to do. But the angel knew the same thing, that when the angel came to kill the firstborn son in their houses, if the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost, it would pass over that door and go to the next house. And so that was the last of the plagues that ultimately leads to God freeing his people from slavery in Egypt. And so it's fitting that Jesus then uses the Passover meal of remembrance to institute or, or to begin what is to be a perpetual and ongoing sacrament for the people of God, for the church. The Lord's Supper then, really in the, in the purest sense of the word, souvenir is exactly what it is. It is a souvenir. It is to remember, but, but understand this, it's unlike every other souvenir because it benefits those who participate far beyond a mere remembering. At this point in history where we live, it's really impossible to understand the Lord's Supper rightly without considering the various historical understandings surrounding it. Uh, so I'll give my best to give a cliff notes, or I guess they call them spark notes now, 
version of this. We know that the early church practiced the Lord's Supper. At that time, the, the church would meet together on the first day of the week. That's Sunday. That's today. And they would worship and they would share a meal. A distinct aspect of this meal was the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. As time went on, eventually, within Roman Catholicism, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper was, was corrupted. I thought of a lot of ways to say that more politically correct and kind, but I failed. It was corrupted. What happened was an understanding that's not seen in Scripture, and it gave rise to a, a theology called transubstantiation. It's a big word. What it means is this, that when a Catholic priest prays at communion, they believe that the bread chemically transforms into the actual flesh of Jesus, and likewise that the wine transforms into the actual blood of Jesus. Years ago, I asked a group of, of high school students, actually, about this view. We were sitting around actually talking about this with high school students, and one girl in all sincerity suggested uh, the problem with this was that there would not be enough Jesus to go around. I'd, I'd never thought of that before. There just wouldn't be enough Jesus. The real reason this idea is a problem is that it's not true. Any of you that have ever taken the Lord's Supper in a Catholic church can tell you by experience that the bread remains bread and the wine remains wine. Even in the text of Scripture, we see Jesus say, this is my body, and then he hands them bread. Paul, in verse 26 of our text, says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so there's many things wrong with this view, but I'll just give you one more. When Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross, it was a once-for-all-time sacrifice because it was perfect. Uh, there was no need for the sacrifice to be repeated. That was one distinction between the sacrifices of the Old Testament and Christ's perfect sacrifice on the cross. However, if the bread and the wine become his actual blood and his actual flesh, then this sacrifice is happening over and over and over again, which implies that something was lacking in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So around the time of Martin Luther, Roman Catholicism had also created a list of sacraments. There were seven sacraments. They still have this list of seven sacraments. Baptism, communion, penance, confirmation, marriage, the priesthood, and extreme unction, which is really just last rites. Since the Reformers were committed to following God's holy scripture, sola scriptura, scripture alone, they made a renewed list of the sacraments that were seen clearly in scripture, and this much shorter list consisted of baptism and the Lord's Supper. However, there was some disagreement even among the, the Reformers, uh, the Protestant groups, as to how the Lord's Supper should be understood. Uh, Martin Luther held that the bread remained bread and that the wine remained wine, but that Jesus had a real physical presence in, with, and under uh, the bread and the wine. And this is why Lutheran churches to this day, there's still a great reverence given to the actual elements of the wine and the bread because they see the physical presence of, of Christ very close to them, uh, almost like a, a halo is the best way I could think of to explain this. And so they still hold on to a great reverence because of the, the, that idea. Then there was Zwingli. Uh, this view is better known today as just the Baptist understanding. Uh, Zwingli went as far from the Roman Catholic Church as possible. It's kind of the pendulum swing to the other side. For Zwingli, he said that it's only a remembrance. It's only a souvenir. Nothing more. There's nothing unique about it. Jesus is not present in any way. The Lord's Supper is done as a way to remind the church of Jesus' death on the cross, and that's it. And so the last view that I want to talk about here is really originates with John Calvin, although, you know, before that, and has been re the Reformed view ever since. And this is the view that we as a Presbyterian church hold to. And this view states 
that the bread remains bread, the wine remains wine, the supper is done so that we remember the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for our sins, but it's more than that. Jesus is spiritually present here in a very real and unique way so that we feed on him, not, not physically, but spiritually, uh, by faith so that we are nourished and we are strengthened. Now, I want to expound on this a, a bit more, starting really in our text, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Paul tells us that really what he's about to share here comes directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to make it clear that this is nothing Paul's making up. It's, it's him delivering the exact same thing that he receives from Jesus Christ. It's nothing new. And then he retells what happens at the Lord's Supper. You remember they, they met to celebrate the Passover meal. And, and remember, the Passover meal was reminding the people of God how God had delivered and freed them from slavery in Egypt. And so then Jesus takes these symbols of deliverance and he reinterprets them. He takes what is the central story in Israel's history and he makes it about himself. And he points to the even greater deliverance that he was about to accomplish for his people. Deliverance from sin, from eternal death, from the wrath of God, he makes it about the once-for-all perfect sacrifice that he is going to accomplish on the cross for his people. And so in our text, we get this beautiful image of, of Jesus holding out the bread. And he's broken this bread. And he says, this is my body broken for you. And that's exactly what happens to Jesus on the cross. His body is broken for you, for us. It's often been said that the sacrament is a covenantal meal. As we come to worship God, the covenant that he has established is renewed. It's almost like when you see people renew their marriage vows. It's not erasing their marriage vows previously and and starting new. It's stating again that this marriage is what they desire, what they need. It's a reminder of the vows that they have made to each other. And the goal is to strengthen their marriage going forward. Each time we gather together to worship God, then his covenant with us is renewed. God communicates that he is our God, and he has bought us by his death on the cross, and we belong to him. And we renew that he is our God. He is our Savior, our hope, and and our satisfaction. The Lord's Supper, then, is a meal renewing that covenant with God, between God and his people, and the result is our being spiritually nourished and, and strengthened. When Christ summons us in this text to do this in remembrance of him, this is not a remembering as though we have forgotten the event completely. Uh, surely you don't walk in here each time we gather and hear the gospel and think, wow, I've, I've never heard that before. Who is this Jesus? He, he died? That's terrible. When did this happen? Uh, you don't come in here having forgotten the actual information. Or if you do, you may have a medical condition and we'll look into that. But that's not the kind of remembering that Jesus is talking about here. But if you're like me, you do come to worship with some degree of unbelief ungratefulness, with lack of faith, at times with failure to have in the forefront of your mind the reality that God is real, 
and that life is short and that your sins really are forgiven. Somewhere during the week, we often forget that we belong to Jesus, that we're loved by Jesus, that God himself has made a covenant with us, a promise to be our God, and we forget that God is a covenant keeper who will not go back on his promise. At times during the week, we forget how much we desire to be holy as he is holy. And our failure, or rather our failure to obey God's word, has left us feeling rejected by God, who has already paid for that sin that weighs us down. And so this remembrance is, is not about remembering information. It's about a renewed and strengthened faith in our life, as we're reminded of Christ's love for us. Not because you're worthy. We don't come to the table because we're worthy. None of us are. But because the one who invites you to the table is worthy, and he has made you worthy by paying the price to purchase you. And this is an important distinction for me, uh, because when I first believed the gospel, uh, it was in a church that viewed the sacrament very different. The Lord's Supper was very different, and it was done once a quarter, and when they asked you to examine ourselves, we were to examine to determine if we had been good enough to partake of the Lord's Supper this week. And so we'd begin to think, you know, it caused so much internal fear and anxiety that the whole experience was stressful. And, and honestly, I hated when the Lord's Supper would come up. Because I would sit there and I'd think in my head, I treated my mom terribly this week. I lusted in my heart. I know that I gossip, and, and I wasn't completely honest with my teacher, and then I would think to myself, I can't take the Lord's Supper. God will kill me, because I've not been good enough to earn the Lord's Supper this week. And the reason for administering the Lord's Supper this way was not malicious. It was really a misunderstanding of the warning given in 1 Corinthians 11, 27-30, which says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. This is not a warning about some amount of sin in your life during the week that might make you unworthy to come to the table. It's a warning to examine our hearts so that we come as one who is in need, one who sees his sin, confessing it, and who's looking to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of that sin. The question they ask as you examine yourself is not, have I been good enough this week to come to the table? Rather, it's, do you know you're a sinner? Do you know that Jesus has died for your sin? And if your answer is yes, then come to the table and be spiritually strengthened. The Heidelberg Catechism says it better than me. Question 81 asks this. It says, Who should come to the Lord's table? And it answers saying, Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned, and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead a better life. So it is for Christians who know that they are sinners saved by Jesus Christ. So when you pre prepare for the Lord's Supper this evening, consider your stand. Understand how terrible your sin is, how you deserve the wrath of God to be poured out on you. That's okay, but don't stop there. 
keep going until you reach the gospel. Consider your Savior who has died for those sins and who paid the price for those sins and know that God loves you and wants to encourage and strengthen your faith this evening. Be nourished. Now the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 92, also speaks to the Lord's Supper. It, it refers to it as a sensible sign. We read the modern version in our bulletin earlier. The confession asks this, what is a sacrament? And it answers, a, a sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. A sign is something that points to something else, right? When you came here this evening, you saw the sign out front, and, and yet none of you walked to that sign and just sat down at the sign and, and, and waited for the service to start. At least I, I hope you didn't. But you didn't do that because the sign's not the actual place. It, it points to the actual place. Just seeing you in here tells me that most of you saw that sign and you knew that the building behind it is really what it was pointing to, that it was referring to. And so you, you came in and you're here now. And the Lord's Supper, as we said, is, is not the sacrifice itself. It's a sign that points to the actual sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us. So what is a sensible sign? You remember in elementary school when you learned the five senses? Sight, hearing, taste, smell, and touch. And some people claim to have a six, but they're lying. One of the amazing things about God's design of, of man and, and woman is our, our physical nature. He could have made us only souls, but he didn't. Uh, his design for us was both as body and soul, and that means that by de design we have this ability to sense things, really in these five unique ways. And, and the Lord's Supper is this tangible way for us to experience the Lord's death for us. The elements engage our senses. We see the bread and we see the wine with our eyes. We hear the bread when we chew it in our mouths. And we hear the gospel as whoever's administering the Lord's Supper speaks about the Lord's Supper. And we taste the bread, and we taste the fruit of the cup, and we can smell the yeasty smell of the bread, and the wine has this scent that's unmistakable. And really, you can touch that bread, and you feel it, and if you want, you can touch the wine, but that might be messy. But you get this picture of these sensible signs as we experience this. And really, I want you to get this picture because the forgiveness of your sins is as tangible and as real as the bread and the wine you will hold in your hand and taste in your mouth this evening. Okay, so we've seen the benefits for Christians to participate in the Lord's Supper, but there's also great benefits for non-Christians not to participate, but who observe the sacrament. First, they're going to hear the gospel proclaimed very clearly. You are a sinner and you need Jesus. Come to him by faith and find forgiveness. Not only will they hear the gospel, but... Secondly, they're going to see a room full of people who, when they partake of the Lord's Supper, are confessing that they are sinners and that their faith is in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin. Uh, this is why Jesus says in our text, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We love the gospel because we need the gospel. And we long to see God draw others to himself and to believe the gospel. And, and so we proclaim it to all who will hear it. And so when you come to the table today, you're in essence saying this when you participate. You're saying, Jesus died for my sins, and Jesus is coming again. Now, 
Scripture does not say if the Lord's Supper should be done yearly or, or quarterly, monthly, or, or weekly. However, uh, because it does proclaim the gospel and because it is a meal of covenant renewal and because it nourishes and strengthens the people of God, uh, we've decided at Manhattan Presbyterian to administer the Lord's Supper every time we meet together for corporate worship, which we hope will be weekly before too long. Now, one aspect I haven't mentioned yet is how this is a communal meal. Uh, it's not to be taken alone at home. Uh, you can go home and open up a bottle of wine and get a, a loaf of bread, but that's not the Lord's Supper. It's a shared experience for the church to partake in together. It's an ordinance of the church. The first text we read today said this, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. I'll read it for you again. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The supper should foster unity among us because it reminds us not so much of our neighbor's sin, but about our own sin. And we see how gracious God has treated us. And it should teach us to treat each other graciously as well. As we see God's great patience towards us, it should encourage us to be patient with each other. It reminds us that we are members of Christ's body and thus one body. Last year when we were talking about the name of this church, one of my favorite options was Soma Presbyterian Church. Travis hated it. Uh, I think he was right. It would be too trendy. Soma, though, is, is the Greek word of our text today. It's translated as body, as in the body of Christ, the Soma of Christ, the body of Christ. And, and while that's not our church name, it is our identity. It is who we are. When we participate at the table today, I want you to look around at each other. It's okay to make eye contact. And understand that, that this is a family, a covenant family, that is united because we are all members in the body of Christ. The last thing I, I want to mention to you is to let you know how it is we administer the Lord's Supper here. I explained it to Laura once, and she said it was very helpful, and so I, I want to do the same for you here. There are certain steps that we take each time we administer the Lord's Supper. First, we introduce the Lord's Supper. Uh, we explain what it is, why you need it, how to participate. Sometimes this is going to be tied to the sermon. Other times it won't exactly be tied to the sermon. Second thing we do is to fence the, the Lord's Supper. Uh, just as you might place a fence around a garden if you don't want a deer or something else eating your food, or to protect, protect anything, really. So the Lord's Supper, there is a, a verbal fence put around it. It is a way to protect it uh, and to protect those from partaking in it that shouldn't be. This is because it is a sacrament for Christians, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin. And, and so we communicate in one way or another uh, to not partake of the meal if, if that's not true about you in your heart. You don't have to be a member here. Uh, but we want people examining their own hearts to know, is this, is this true about them before they partake in this? There's other reasons that people don't participate, so don't assume if someone doesn't that that's the reason. If individuals choose not to participate, that's, that's okay, and we don't want them to feel awkward about doing so. And that's, that's a big reason that when we come up here in a bit, we don't dismiss row by row. We actually thought about this when we were going through this. We wanted to leave it out. When people are ready, they come to the middle, and then you come forward. And the reason was... We didn't want someone's row to go and you just have to awkwardly let everyone, you know, scoot past you. The third thing we do is, is we give what's called the words of institution. Uh, this means we read or we, we say 
what it is Jesus said at the first Lord's Supper, at the, uh, the last supper, which is also the first Lord's Supper. Uh, and this means we really just read the words. We say it just like Jesus did. And so uh, our denomination requires this, and, and the reason is so that the sacraments are kept within their proper biblical context. And then after that, we, we pray and we ask God's blessing on this because we're, we're coming together and we're asking God to really strengthen us in this. And finally, all are served the bread first and we partake of that. Uh, and then all are served the wine or the juice second and we partake of that. And it's important that all are served. I, I say this and really no one comes up here and serves themselves because we're all guests at the table of the Lord. He invites us. He invites you. He invites me. We're all invited to this table and so we're, we're served it. So all this has been bunches and, and bunches of information, and so uh, there's even much that wasn't said here. And like I said from the start, the Lord's Supper really could be an entire semester worth of, of study. It's been incredible as I've been looking at this stuff, but it just kind of goes on and on and on. But I'd love to talk more about this if you have any questions. And so uh, if you want to know anything at all, if you want to know what needs to be done for your children participate, or if you wonder why it is we have grape juice and wine, uh, or if you wish to know, you know, why it is our bread really is the best tasting bread ever and, and not those crackers that you tend to see places. Or if you just want to discuss the, you know, the other sacrament of, the, of baptism. Is there uh, really anything at all, please contact me because I really would love to just sit down and chat about some of these things. Contact Pastor John or Elder Travis Shanahan right here. Uh, any of us really would love to sit down and talk about this. So I'm excited to join you in a few minutes uh, at the Lord's table tonight to be nourished to be strengthened, to be renewed as we come to this as, as sinners looking to be strengthened in our faith as we, we go out of here, uh, that we might walk out of this building tonight renewed in our faith, ready to live for the glory of God.